0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to an old guy who knows shit. Sludog here, with some more stories from life. This is Episode 6, Dreams, Part 1. Copyright 2020 by L.R. Holtz. Before I get back to the stories, I want to mention something that has come up about the introduction. Folks have told me that I'm too hard on the founding fathers, that I judge them too harshly. Well, I'm sorry to have given that impression because I do not judge them. And what I mean to do is to just simply report the fact of their actions and what their actions initiated. I completely understand where they were coming from. In their time, men were clearly understood to be white property owners and nobody thought anything of it. It was the natural order of things. In May, 1776, John Adams wrote a letter to James Sullivan, who had asked him to consider expanding suffrage, and here's what he had to say. Depend upon it, sir. It is dangerous to open such a source of controversy and altercation as would be opened by attempting to change the qualifications of voters. There will be no end of it. New claims will arise. Women will demand a vote. Lads from 12 to 21 will think their rights not enough attended to... And every man who has not a dime will demand an equal voice with any other in all acts of state. It tends to confound and destroy all distinctions and surrender all ranks to one common level. To John Adams, making all men one common level is clearly inconceivable. All men are created equal did not mean what it said. That is the simple fact we must confront today. And placing blame on them is pointless because regardless of their intent, their actions formed the root of racism in America. Only some people were created equal and the rest were shit out of luck. Making money justified enslavement. So somebody had to not be equal to be enslaved. And today... Making money justifies enslavement of us all with its utter careless global destruction, fully justified by profit. And on that cheery note, let's go to the dang dream story. So I first wrote this in college when part two occurred. I've updated some language, but I have to admit that I do not remember this much detail now. But it's fun, I'd love to revisit it. I wrote it in 1973, only months away from some of it. And just to put this in context, Origins is the story of how I started listening to the world rather than to people, and Dreams is the story of what I heard first which began pretty much immediately the moment I stopped listening to priests and nuns and started listening to my heart and the world. And then it got seriously underway when some pretty weird shit started happening. So one night not too long after the incident described in Origin Part 2, pretty sure it was about my sophomore year in high school, I had a vivid dream of something happening at school. I was just cruising along in my normal dream world, and suddenly it was like this zoom lens just picked me up and irised me into a scene in one of my classes. And I just rocketed right into the scene. I was suddenly there, and it was crystal clear and just astoundingly real. And I woke up from it, and I was somehow, I don't know if shaken is the right word, because the feeling had no fear, but I was excited, and I marveled at the dream, and then went back to sleep and forgot about it. Until the next morning, when it happened. And in the moment, there was that same sense of suddenly zooming in from a great distance, and realizing that I was in the dream and that it was happening for real. Now, this has probably happened to some extent to all of you at some point. Prescient dreams are really a pretty common occurrence and most people have experienced them at some point. So you probably know what I'm talking about. The first time, it was amazing, and I sat in wonder for a few minutes remembering my dream and how I had awakened from it with the same feeling that was suddenly washing over me there in class. And then I shrugged it off and forgot about it. Well, it happened again. And then again. And suddenly, by my junior year in high school, I'm having prescient dreams on a regular basis. And now you have to understand, I was a kid who dreamed a lot and remembered my dreams. It was pretty common in my family. We would often sit and laugh over the breakfast table at our dreams. So when I started having all these prescient dreams, I started paying attention to them. I found that if I wrote down the dream, then I would know when it happened that it had in fact been a dream and was not just a feeling of deja vu. But what was most interesting to me was identifying them, because they all had certain common elements. There would be that sense of zooming in from a great distance to crystal clear focus, accompanied by a unique sense of awareness, of clarity of vision in the dream. They all had the same aura and I named them Truth Dreams. And whenever I would have one, I would write it down. And then when it happened, I would know that it had been a dream. So this was all very cool, and I wasn't at the time really asking myself why it was working, but instead observing it and studying it and experiencing it. It was exciting and unique, and I felt like it was special. I mean, it had to be special. Not everyone dreams what's gonna happen the next day. So I was watching and observing and taking notes and getting very excited by it all when suddenly there was a monkey wrench thrown into the works. All of a sudden, one night, I'm taken up by that whirling lens, and it zooms me in with that crystal clarity to a medieval village. Now, my first thought when I woke up was, man, was that a dirty life. And then I went, wait a minute, that was a truth dream. But it was a medieval village. I mean, there was nothing particularly exciting happened in it. I was working in some kind of shed building building carving something out of a piece of wood. I was making some kind of a tool while a very dirty young woman sat on the other side of the shed grinding grain on a convex stone with a big round stone, And that's pretty much all it was, but I was just there. I, was, I knew what I was thinking at the time. I hated to have to carve this thing, but I had to in order to do something else that I had to do. And I wasn't thinking about what that was in the moment. I was thinking about getting this cut right and wishing I had a sharper blade. I knew I loved the woman, that she was my wife, that we were barely surviving. I had an awareness of the sound of children somewhere nearby, knowing one or more of them was mine. It was just crystal clear. Well, what can I do with that? Obviously nothing, but it got even more interesting. Shortly after that first medieval dream, that swirl grabs me from my dreams once again and zooms into a battlefield. And I'm standing in the front row of a cadre of soldiers wearing not much more than loincloths, carrying like small shields and primitive swords, and we're yelling at the top of our lungs at another cadre of similarly equipped men about 50 yards away. And then we break into a run and charge into each other as fast and as hard as we can. And in a second, it is just a maelstrom of swinging and chopping and blood, and I get a couple of them before somebody lands one on me, and I feel it breaking into my body, and I know that it's the end, and I try to keep stabbing and slashing as I'm going down into the pile of bodies that are just soaked and slimy with blood, and then there's a thud against the back of my head, and I snap awake, knowing that I'm dead, that I have just been killed in a vicious, bloody storm of hacking and stabbing. And it took a few minutes for me to realize wait, I'm not dead. That rather I was me now, and I had just had a truth dream in which I had been killed. Now that was a little alarming because you always hear that it's not good to dream about your own death. It's supposed to have some kind of sinister implications, like you're going to die or someone else is going to die or something. So it was alarming, especially since it had been a truth dream. But then I have a few more truth dreams that all happen in the present time. And they happen in the present time. And I'm grooving on them again. And I forget about the medieval dreams. And then there was another battle and I died hacking and chopping in great spurts of blood once again. But this time I wasn't dead. I woke up in a pile of bodies. The battle had moved to another part of the field and I tried to see what was happening. I couldn't move. There were too many bodies on top of me, and I knew that I was going to die. I really, really wanted to know who had won, but I could not move. Resigned myself and let myself just go to sleep. And when I woke up, this time, I knew I was dead, and I was waking up in Valhalla. But instead of being a warrior at the gates of Valhalla... I was a teenage boy sitting on a bed in the U.S. of A. circa 1967. A world which I did not recognize. It was just wrong. My present time, real world existence, was just wrong. I have a clear memory of getting up, looking around the room, thinking of myself as this big burly warrior, and thinking in some language the equivalent of what? is this place, and going to the window and looking out, and it looking utterly alien to me. And I went back to the bed, and I looked around at this completely strange room, and, and again thought, Valhalla? What the hell? And then I lay down, and I went right back to sleep. Now, when I woke up that next morning, I immediately remembered waking up, The other two times as the other guy. But then when I sat up, I did know who and where I was, thank goodness. But I just sat there shaking because it had been utterly real. Me, myself in another life and time had encountered me myself in this time and i knew that the other me had had the same dream in that life at that time and for those few moments we had looked out of each other's eyes i was thunderstruck by that one it really took a bit of time to recover So then there was another dream in which I was a shaman leading a group of very primitive looking people in a ritual dance. And then another in which I was a torturer. That one was almost funny. It started at home, a sort of mud-walled, two-room structure, rough-hewn table, finishing some bread, kissing another dirty woman goodbye, the whole sense of, oh, have a nice day at work, honey. And then I walked through these dirty, crowded streets, and dusty people in robes, thinking mundane thoughts, meeting somebody for midday meal, you know, stuff like that. And I walked into the biggest and most imposing structure around, another mud-walled structure, but this one with no windows, maybe two stories tall. And I went in past a guard whom I greeted very pleasantly and then went down this narrow stairway into a dungeon complete with torture devices and people in chains. And it was the cries of the people when they saw me arrive that woke me up. And I woke with that, well, time to get to work feeling, and was filled with visions of what I was going to do. Oh, this guy had to do that, and this guy was set up for that, and, you know, but, oh, my God. Yeah, not pleasant. There was another one that seemed post-apocalyptic. I was one of the leaders of a fairly large group of people living in mountains and tents and makeshift shelters. We were dressed in modern clothes with modern tools, but living quite primitively, and I had the sense we were hiding from someone. Uh, There there were a few series in which I was a woman. Usually I was a male, but not always. Then some of the times and locations started recurring. I revisited the first medieval life, working in a field uh, with a group of other people. I revisited the shaman many times. I had a partner, lover, who I actually believe I've encountered in this life. Our cave was on top of a rise, surrounded by really big timber. And something like a giant redwood had fallen in a clearing in front of the cave. And the stump of this tree had been shaped and worn down over generations into a large, smooth table, like 10, 12 feet across. And that was holy. Because of the power of the energy coming from its roots. It was the center of everything we did. And we pretty much ran the place too, but it was all good. People came to us for help and we led rituals and we do an astounding amount of natural medicine. And we lived long for the time. We became famous, obviously. I really liked visiting the shaman life. People had great respect for us and we lived to do good things for them. Sadly, almost as frequently, I revisited the torturer. And something inside me would always cringe, but then as the torturer, of course, I enjoyed the people's fear of me. And, and, and I did I studied my craft. I was called on in one of these dreams, you're not going to believe this, to practice my art on some special prisoner who had to talk but could be left with no marks on his body. And I welcomed the challenge with pride. I was a craftsman and the best around. In post-apocalyptic world, there was a crisis and we had to move our location quickly and surreptitiously. It was easy for me to believe it was post-apocalyptic child of the Cold War that I was, but years later I realized there had been no radiation and that whatever we were surviving could most likely have been natural. There were other series of dreams, some of which were extremely primitive. No language in my head with which to describe my experience as it was happening. Now, that was weird. In one of those, I was caught and eaten by a large carnivore. I think it was some kind of cat, but it caught me by surprise and I was less concerned with what it was than I was with the fact that it was eating me. And that death was surprisingly not terrible because the relief that it was over quickly was so great. I was not gonna get away. Dead was good. Then, of course, as I woke up, the horror of what I had just gone through hit me and I about threw up in my bed. I don't think I went back to sleep that night. Over time, though, eventually, I did become blasé about seeing my death. It happened so often. It was always alarming when it happened because I would wake up knowing what it had felt like, remembering the smells and the sensations, the, the pain, not only the pain of whatever the killing blow was, but the emotional pain you experience in that moment when you just have to go, dang, I'm gonna die. Sometimes it was sudden. Sometimes it took way too long. But there was a point somewhere in my like junior senior year of high school when I realized that I had this sense that I really knew what it felt like to die. So during this period, there were also other truth dreams that made no sense at all. I don't remember all of them, but my senior year, there was one that was particularly confusing. I was sitting on the bottom of a swimming pool, breathing, sitting on the bottom of a swimming pool, Maybe half a dozen other people sitting on the bottom of the same pool. I could see bubbles rising from the other people's heads, but no one was wearing scuba gear. We all had a bundle of stuff, and we were doing something with that bundle of stuff. And this dream was very short, little more than a snapshot, but because it was so weird, I made particular note of it. And that summer, I worked in Hawaii. And while I was there, I got certified to scuba dive. And of course, you know what happened. One of your first underwater tests you must pass is to throw all of your equipment into a pool, dive in, get your mask and regulator on first, put all the equipment on, and swim around some, all without breaking the surface. Well, I threw my gear in, jumped in after it, grabbed the regulator, stick it in my mouth, turn it on, take a breath, get my mask, put it on, look up, and... There I was in my dream. And the thing about these dreams was that they really did not fit into the Catholic Western culture world. And the more I had them, the more convinced I wanted to become that the Catholics had it all wrong. And yes, I know I had broken from the Catholics, but our culture is one-lifed reincarnation is seriously out of the mainstream. I mean, like, seriously, y'all are thinking that right now. Like, this guy's wacko out of the mainstream, no matter what the Catholics say. So I resisted believing. But obviously, there was a direct contradiction between truth dreams, which came from me and had proven themselves to be true, at least in this time, and which seemed clearly to suggest that I had lived other lives, And Catholic Western culture dogma, which came from a bunch of guys who made a bunch of shit up, which said, oh, you only come around once. Too bad. But I still did not trust the dreams enough to feel like I could say, yeah, wow, I've lived other lives. I still dismissed the dreams from different lives as aberrations or something. I adamantly refused to contemplate that reincarnation was even Possible. So ingrained in me was that Catholic Western culture dogma that says, you only get one chance. They were dreams. Pretty fun and interesting dreams, yeah, but dreams. Period. Before I wrap up dreams part one here, I do have to tell you that it was around this time that I read Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five which if you have not read you must it's very short and one of the best reads ever man oh man did it ring about a hundred bells billy pilgrim was unstuck in time and that was exactly how i felt on most nights it was uncanny unstuck in time it described my dream life Perfectly, The only difference was that I was unstuck in the timeline that was all of my lives. But, of course, I still resisted accepting the possibility that it might be real. I mean, come on, it's a great book, but fiction. So, stay tuned for dreams, part two, when you will hear about the mother of all dreams that did change my mind. This is an old guy who knows shit, signing off till next time mm uh-huh.